Once upon a time, two marine pilots opened a bar. And not just any bar, a self-serve bar. A bar where you pour your own beer, your own wine, and even your own mixed drinks. Yes, folks, this is real. And while you're enjoying your tasty beverage, you can rage out at some original Mario Kart, challenge your neighbor to a gigantic game of Scrabble, or just sit back and enjoy one of the 80 different taps they have to offer. We talk about the decision, the process, the lessons, and differences between combat risk and business risk, and also some of the really cool perks of having 80 kegs of beer at your disposal. On today's episode, I welcome one of my closest friends, retired Marine, Ramon Fiesta Ballister, an F-18 Hornet pilot, amateur salsa dancer, and one of my favorite angry people. I'm your host, Susan, and this is The Ready Room Podcast. Fiesta. Susan. Welcome to the Ready Room Podcast. <laughs> How's it going? Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, man. Thanks for letting me live in your house the past week and, <laughs> and do a podcast from your basement. Yeah, sound, uh, sounds good, my friend. All right, dude. So the title of this one, A Self-Serve Bar Owned by Marines, A True Story with Fiesta. It's real. Dude, tell us about your bar. Okay. Well, um, our first location in uh, uh, Beltline down in Atlanta, it's a self-serve bar, 85 taps. Uh, that we have beer, wine, cocktails, um, all kinds of uh, different fun beverages on self-serve draft system. And uh, we opened in uh, 2019. And we are, as as you are aware, yesterday we had our uh, our um, friends and family and social media event for our second location and uh, expanding into our third in Atlanta now. Okay. Well, that's all good information, Fiesta. But uh, what's the name of your bar? <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's uh, Port Taproom, uh, uh, located, like I said, in uh, in the metropolitan Atlanta area. Nice. So tell us about the Beltline real quick. Yeah, Beltline is um, Atlanta's attempt at trying to make the city a little bit more walkable. Uh, it's, uh, you know, an old school city, uh, lots of roads, um, lots of industry. It was an old uh, train hub um, back in, uh, the you know, the early United States um, uh, time frame, if you will. And um it just wasn't very walkable, and so they've basically uh, repurposed a uh, trains uh, a train track that went around the perimeter of the city that okay. uh, is being used to uh, connect all the different neighborhoods by by foot. So that's okay. the Beltline, yeah. So it's a self serve bar. That's correct. You guys got beer. We do. Um, you got mixed drinks, <laughs> da- wine. Dangerous. Yes, oh indeed. Yes, how indeed. Did, I'm going to get one of the questions I'm going to ask you later is how they let two Marines do this. <laughs> like, how did the city of Atlanta? Did you just pay them cash they on the side? No idea. These guys. No idea. All right. So let's get to the start of it because how you got there is this is the the method for this uh, yeah this podcast. So you retired. When did you officially retire? Uh, official retirement uh, was March uh, 31st of 2019. Okay, so prior to retirement, did you? I knew you were thinking about doing airline stuff, but yeah. did you have a side hustle plan? Anything lined up? Honestly, brother, um, no. That wasn't the game plan. Uh, the game plan had always been, honestly, for about 10 years, was to go to graduate school. <laughs> that was it. Um, that was even... Um, part of the reasoning behind uh, taking the uh, the secondary job that I did in the Marine Corps going off to, to be a, an ROTC instructor uh, was was to try and get my MBA, uh, to try and go into the business world uh, it, and under the traditional, you know, the traditional path, right. you know, executive kind of stuff. Um, and it just magically worked out uh, the way that it did. So 
you had no idea you were going to open a bar. No and idea. you ever, ever have any ambitions to open a bar? Uh, no, I always wanted to own my own business. Right. Uh, and I I'd felt that that would be the path that I would go eventually uh, after I went through the, you know, the, the standard wickets that we're all used to, um, uh, that we train ourselves for, you know, like, Hey, you got to go to graduate school. You got to work for a big company. Uh, and then at that point, then you're ready. Um, kind of your traditional, get a good job with good benefits, with a good company, work 40 hours a week, do your two weeks of your vacation, that's right. your standard traditional. Okay. That's right. So you knew you didn't want to do that. Um, I had always thought, uh, I was going to own a business, but I always thought that that was the path, uh, that I was going to take was, um, you know, follow the standard procedures, get, get an MBA because that's what everybody does. Yep. They, they, you know, any, anybody who's has any interest in getting out of the military at a decent, uh, point in their life, uh, generally goes on to graduate school and, um, uses that as the springboard to kind of move into, to other things. Okay. Tracking. So you retire, you can do some airline stuff. Yeah. Knew you wanted to do some business, but you're thinking about graduate school. How did, uh, what happened? Tell us the story behind how this idea came up and the decision to pursue it. Yeah. Um, so first off, it's not my idea, right? Um, we, as, as you're aware, uh, standard weekend training, uh, ops, you know, the squadrons are sending guys out on the weekend to go just burn hours, um, get some training done. And, um, you know, our, our very dear friend, meet and I, uh, were on a weekend road show. Uh, we flew into Greenville, South Carolina after doing some low level training. And it was, uh, March 16th of, uh, 2017 was when we, uh, that was the, the weekend that we went on the road and, uh, we landed in Greenville, got to the hotel, uh, and, you know, uh, for those who are not pilots, everybody, you know, in, in our community, you do these weekend trips, you train really hard, you get to the hotel, you check in, yeah. and then you change into something a little bit more appropriate. Did you uh, bag strike the lobby bar uh, <laughs> like, like you should? Um, that time, there was, the lobby bar wasn't open. Oh, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, they had a Ruth Chris there, uh, but we were we felt like we wanted to be a little bit more polished to walk into the Ruth Chris. Instead of in your flight suit. <laughs> Instead of in the flight I would suit. do it. I would totally do it. We all know that you would have done that, <laughs> Susan. All um, right, so you're, yeah, in, you're in Greenville. Yeah, we're in Greenville. Uh, we asked the, the, the hotel clerk, we're like, hey, well, where do we go? Um, and he said, you know, head down to downtown. Here's a cross streets. Forget what they were. Um, and you check out this place, uh, poor chap room down there, a pretty cool spot. Um, we changed over, we went down, uh, and walked in and I had, I was already in the transition mindset, you know, it was 2017 at the time. So I knew I had about a year and a half, two years before I was, I was getting out. Um, and I had a plan, you know, it was to apply, go to graduate school, all that kind of stuff. But then we walked in and, um, just saw the self-serve taps, saw how much fun everybody was having, having a, you know, a, a really relaxed, low-key environment, dogs everywhere. It was a lot of fun. And just looked around, looked at uh, meat, and we're like, this is pretty freaking cool. And um, then just decided right there I wanted to do it. <laughs> right there. That was where the decision was. And did you happen to run in, into any specific individuals that were at that bar at that time? Uh, yeah. The, well, the owner happened to be there uh, at the time. And so we were just kind of awestruck, you know, with, in in our mind, we're, you know, just, just like we, we all typically do from our community. You try to dissect what you're observing and, and you know, try to see... Uh, how efficient it is or inefficient. And to us, it was like, oh my God, this is the most efficient thing in the world. You know, it's, uh, you know, 
requires very little in the way of overhead. You know, customers are serving themselves. This has got to make a killing, that kind of stuff. So immediately you just start processing that and eyes are just wide open. Uh, and so we had asked around for the, you know, the manager and the manager said, well, the owner's here and see even better. And, uh, so we chatted them up and just started asking a lot of those pointed questions, you know, how did you get started, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really interested. Can we get your business card? And then kind of took it from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was in two, like I said, March, that was March 17th, 2017. And then we opened our doors in Atlanta on, uh, April 28th of 2019. So just a little over two years later. So the, from that initial interaction with the owner, and this was the owner of the bar, or the owner of the, the actual name the bar and the, the concept. Label. Yeah. Uh, this was their second location at the time. Um, Asheville was their first location. Greenville was the, uh, was the second. And um, they just happened to be there at the time, kind of helping support. Uh, it was a family business at that time, helping support the brother uh, that was running that location. And then we just chatted them up and uh you know exchanged uh, information and then moved on from there so when did you officially hit play when did you guys sit around and decide to make the call hey graduate school's canceled <laughs> we are going to pursue opening a self-serve bar um i think it was uh it, it's, it's really hard to kind of nail that down uh so i knew walking in after about five minutes that i wanted to do that but it was reconciling that I had a plan and that I had to deviate from that plan that took a while to, uh, to, to actually register uh, in my head. That was about six months or so, um, kind of coming to the realization that you can't do it all. Uh, you know, I was thinking of doing the, you know, graduate school. Uh, I was thinking of trying to fly for the airlines and opening a restaurant slash bar all these things, and we all tend to think, "Oh, I can do it." You I can know, handle yeah, that. I can handle that. Sure. It's no big deal. I, you know, working at the squadron twenty-seven hours. Yeah, a day. I've been writing skits for <laughs> twenty years. I could do this. Yeah, I've so, got nine jobs at the squadron. Exactly. So, yeah. so I guess reconciling the um, the the fact that I needed to choose uh, a path. Okay. So the talk about that decision. He's given up, so you know, grad school for this random concept that you ran into on a road show, yeah, and pursuing that, and obviously it's a heavy investment. Talk about the thought process behind that. You know, uh, it was scary. That's really what it was. You get you get so ingrained in kind of what the right path is. You know what you think you're going to do, and um, and then realizing that at what point am I ready to deviate from my plan? At what point am I ready to say? Um, we're going to pass up on this course of action and we're going to pivot and we're going to do something different. Um, and that's, you know, that, that was really the issue. Okay. okay. Uh, was, um, was trying to reconcile all of that. And that took about six months to do. Um, and realizing that grad school was going to be out of the picture was the hardest part it was like, you know, what? that's out. Um, I need to do something different. Okay. Uh, and then, after, you know, deciding, figuring out how we we're going to fund it, all of that stuff was kind of the preliminary things that took about the next six months. And then no kidding, like all of the real work with, um, you know, finding the appropriate location, doing the demographic research, what city I wanted to move to. Uh, that was about a year's worth of work that um, uh, took up the entirety of uh, effectively 2018. So there's a significant amount of homework that went into this. So was the decision Indeed. easy? 
like it, once you guys finalize, you're like, hey man, we're gonna hit, we're gonna do this. Oh yeah. Then the work starts. That's when the work starts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a- that's absolutely correct, bro. Um, you know what we're used to, and you know we might dovetail into this a little bit later, but you know we're used to what ifing absolutely everything and uh, just trying to find the the hardest decision. So the hardest decision wasn't saying I want to do this. It was where am I going to do this and how am I going to how am I going to put effective safety nets in place in order to make sure that, um, you know, if I slip up or trip up that um, I'm going to be okay. Um, a lot of time went into deciding what city to go to. And um, so that was where a, a lot of work initially went in was trying to figure out, okay, what's what demographic is going to support this um, with a lot of the data that I thought I knew, you know, I had a, a lot of, um, uh, what I would, I would call false, um, uh, false facts, you know, uh, what I, what I thought were known knowns where I were, were definitely not the case, but, um, you know, constantly kind of iterating over what the potential outcomes could be. So it, you, we I settled mean, you, you on did it, like man. a, you mission plan this yeah. whole thing. Oh, you yeah. talked about contingencies, outcomes. Yeah. Definitely. You went full Marine Corps in this thing. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that. You don't think that. But you do. But you did. Yeah. But that's exactly what you it was. You broke it down like administrative. Oh, yeah. Tactical admin. What's our mission? What's possible outcomes? And, well, who's and, the enemy? And, who's and the enemy? And didn't really, you know, it's it's funny. It was just we get so used to what ifing absolutely everything in our, in our you know, our, old, our previous professions yeah. that that is just naturally what you did. Um, and then working for some great leaders who were relentless in what ifing, you know, with poking holes in our own projects, yeah. uh, um, was actually very helpful in kind of helping walk my brain through the, you know, uh, all of the problems or the challenges that we were, you know, that were facing us throughout the process. Okay. The hardest one, like I said, being location, uh, and then settling on Atlanta, and then from there, just kind of moving on. So the process, once you guys hit play was pick the location first right is that early yeah uh the city first okay city. Um, what were your options uh so we was looking at savannah uh it, well it, it was all limited to what was manageable being beaufort stationed uh marines you know we we were we were in beaufort uh, south carolina and there was only so far i was willing to go or or realistically able to go outside of that region uh, in order to do all of the legwork that was necessary to find the location. So, you know, you start close and then you expand your ring out. Uh, we started Savannah was what we were thinking. Um, good city, fun city, not a large uh, population. Um, population density is pretty low there. Thought about Jacksonville. Orlando was actually a, a final contender for us, really trying to get into the, you know, the Universal City Walk area. Um, somewhere in Tennessee uh, and then uh, Atlanta. And um, ultimately just kind of uh, peeling back, you know, where the people were, um, you know, Atlanta being such a, a cosmopolitan city with, um, you know, a very large business, very business friendly city um, and a demographic that was relatively uh, high middle income uh, was for us one of the most important decisions to make. And so you had never done anything like this prior. No, I mean, this is totally new. You're Brand a new. kindergartner when it comes to this all new business stuff. Brand new. So it's got it had to be overwhelming to start, but how did you deal with the onslaught of new information when it comes to 
hey, location, demographic, finances, median income, like all those different things people study and say professionally and say, hey, this is a good place for this business or not this business. Right. How'd you handle that just fire hose effect? Um, I, I try to take it in stages, right? Uh, and, you know, I studied business in school for my bachelor's degree. So I, I had a I had a fundamental understanding of, of things that were necessary for, you know, businesses to be successful. Uh, you you know that you just got you got to be where the people are. Uh, that that that's a big element of it. If there isn't uh, a population with the you know with the finances to support something, um, and that that's you know I, I I hesitate by by saying that because everybody opens businesses all over the United States and all kinds of cities and they're and they're remarkably successful. But for me, it was this was one shot, and we wanted to make sure that uh, we were as successful as we could be and. You know, I we, we probably would have been successful in many of the other cities. It just, for me, I was trying to eliminate as many variables as we could. And um, and that was, you know, the, the biggest variable is, is location. Um, gotcha. and, and we knew that. I mean, every, everybody hears location, location, location with real estate. And so that's kind of, that um, can fix a lot of issues. Uh, we know from, again, tying it into our previous community, uh, you know, the, the technology, uh, superior weapon systems, superior aircraft, superior just capabilities can make up for, you know, um, uh, human error. <laughs> and so just trying to uh, find as much of a um, an advantageous environment as possible to help mitigate my lack of experience. Perfect. In everything yeah, great idea. Have a good idea. In a great location. There you go. Better than a great idea in a good location. Yeah. That's, that's okay, cool. Were there some, I'm sure there were a bunch, but what's, what's one of the surprises that kind of took you off guard in the process itself? Uh, at what stage? Let's say, right so the beginning or? In the homework phase, in the up until opening phase. So you're learning about city plans, applications for licenses. Oh yeah. I mean, that's another world. Oh yeah. It's another language. Oh yeah. What's something that. Totally, you're like, whoa, bro, this is different. In the homework phase, um, I would say, and 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 this is almost going to sound, um, you know, well, no shit, um, <laughs> uh, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, um, you know, you, I, I'm trying to. I remember early on, just trying to process how is this going to make money? You know, what, what do I need to do to, uh, what, what kind of revenue do I need to generate? How many customers do we need to process, um, before we make any money? And, um, I was working on some assumptions that were pretty naive. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, the, the owner of the concept, you know, a great guy, they, they provided, um, a lot of data, a lot of spreadsheets that they had for their locations, but that just didn't really work for the market that we were going into, you know, some of the assumptions that they were making, you know, I think that's, that's even a, a better one. The assumptions going into it were drastically off based upon the market that we were going into. I went in to a, with this with a mindset. This is going to be two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, you know, at most, in order to get it done. And then just realizing how expensive things got, and then, like, 
what's your plan for when it gets too expensive or, you know, if, if, if you're, you know, you're outside of your budget. So just realizing how expensive things could get. And, and honestly, that's a, a good lesson that we're dealing with right now as we're expanding is, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of the safety nets in place early for our first location that looking back and like, Oh my God, I can't believe that without, (laughs) without a lawyer looking at the lease kind of thing. Um, so, uh, I think, I think that was, that was a big one. Um, you know, garbage in garbage out, uh, making assumptions based on, you know, revenue models that just didn't really uh, fit the city, fit the demographic, um, uh, caused a lot of, uh, stress early on. Okay. But so you, you wanted to pursue business prior to this, Correct. What is it about owning a business, managing a business, being a part of it that is attractive to you? Because a ton of people look at what, you know, just starting a bar, starting a business, doesn't matter what it is, as a monumental task that is overwhelming and people don't have the ability or refuse to just hit play and move forward. They get overwhelmed by things. What is it about this whole process that was attractive to you that you're like, you know what, I'm going to jump in both feet into an environment I know nothing about and I'm going to swing for the fences. Well, it's interesting. You, you, that, that's, it's a two part answer there. You know, the first off is I, I built a lot of safety nets in place to protect me in case I failed at this. Um, one of those was remember when we were talking, my game plan was, you know, graduate school was flying and then, you know, uh, you know, working for another company or opening a business if I could, if I could get to that. But so part of the decision to go to Atlanta was just like all of us, um, in the, uh, in the aviation community, we're looking for, you know, that, that awesome job with a, you know, commercial carrier. So that was part of the decision was, okay, well, Atlanta has Delta. So, um, I, was laser focused on applying for Delta at the exact same time as all of the homework necessary to open this bar. So that was my backup plan. You know, I, I, I had an income, I was making money. So the stress was not there that most entrepreneurs deal with when they go all in upfront. So you would, your airline job, would you call that your platform? Uh, that or your, that, yeah, your platform income? Uh, safety net. Safety net. Okay. That was my safety net. All right. Uh, Was, um, you know, laser focused on applying, getting accepted and hopefully getting on with uh, Delta. I had a backup plan with another company uh, that was stationed in a close by city as well. Again, not realizing how difficult or how much is left to chance with whether or not you can, you can get stationed in certain places, et cetera. But you did not put all your eggs in one basket. No, good. Did not. Got it. Uh, And that was what I found remarkably important was having uh and, and I there was a couple books um that I I had read before um this guy Stefan Arnio who's uh, a good business guy um I think he's dead I don't know if he's dead or not great some great books um but he you know had had talked about you know making sure you're always making money you know have never have a single stream of income mm-hmm. uh that's a a really important one and so I already had a lot of safety net. I had a good safety net in place. I was retiring from the Marines, so I had that income that was going to come in. Certainly not going to facilitate the lifestyle that I wanted to lead, but whatever. It was money. Um, uh, Applying for the airlines because I knew that uh, I could potentially have a fairly flexible schedule and be able to 
hopefully get stationed in a city that I was planning on operating this business in. And so that was always the plan. It was like having, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, safety nets in place, uh, safety valves like we're used to, uh, to protect me in case things don't quite go right. Not needing the income uh-huh. from the business was, was actually really important for us uh, early on. So let's, I, there's a connection there. So something I've got on my little itinerary here yes, is... Sir. Combat risk versus business risk. All right, so, you know, you've been over to the sandbox, yep. flown over some places that aren't friendly. Yes, sir. Done all that. And I remember, you know, before we'd walk out of mission, you got to get your head right. Yep. All right. And you're aware of the scenarios that can happen, good and bad. Yep. And you got to be ready for what happens if it does go south. So that's what I, in my little world, I call the combat risk. And I remember when we were there in 16, it was shortly after that Jordanian pilot got Lit on fire oh, yeah. in the cage yeah. uh, when ISIS publicly. got him. Yeah, publicly. And it was, uh, you know, we sat down and did our little, all right, what, do we, what happens if, if, if we go down? And yeah. I had my plan of how I was going to handle all that. If, if how, we we th- how we think I we're totally going to handle plan. it, right? Yeah. I was bringing, like, grenades and all this extra <laughs> stuff. But that's one version of risk. Yeah. And that's the game of life and death. Mm-hmm. That's what I would consider actual risk. Yeah. So having experienced that risk, now you're in the business world. There's some financial risk, personal risk, reputational risk, a lot of stuff that goes involved to this. How did you kind of balance that and react to it? And was it stressful? Uh, it was stressful, but I kept telling myself I'd been here before. We'd been here before because it was all about what ifing absolutely everything to death. Um, what if, uh, you know, I don't have enough capital initially? What if I choose the wrong location? What if, um, you know, we can't find the employees? What if customers aren't coming in? What if, uh, you know, the, the lease isn't favorable? Uh, definitely, um, which we're used to, right? We sit back and particularly when you're mission planning for an event, right? You're always thinking of how is Red Cell going to, you know, throw a hand grenade into this plan right now. And and if at, I at least paid attention to the fact that there was a threat, then it wasn't going to catch me by as much of a surprise later on. Um, and you you remember, you remember your workups, right? You don't sleep the night before um, or early on, right? Um uh, especially when you're like an average pilot like myself, you know, you, you, you are like, you're, you're, you're constantly thinking, you know, what is going to happen next? And if that doesn't go right, what's my plan? Um, and it, and the cool thing was, or what was interesting in retrospect is it didn't even need to be, you didn't even need to go too deep down the rabbit hole, right? It was just introducing your mind to the fact that this could go wrong. And then it wasn't going to catch me by surprise later on. Um, so, and, and that's what we did when we were forward, right? It was, you know, what if, uh, and, you know, as part of the briefing process, you, you know, talked about the different types of control, the different types of, you know, methods of attack and all that kind of stuff that you would be processing. And then, um, and how the game plan was good, how we were going to attack that problem, um, if, if it came up. And that was a lot of what it, what it came down to early. Uh, and, and you couldn't do enough mission planning, which is funny because we hated that yep. so much. Yeah. We hated that ab so much when we were going through it in um, 
you know, the squadron environment. But now when everything is on the line, um, the only thing you think about is that. So did you catch yourself going full, you know, brief debrief style? Like start thinking contingencies, start thinking, I mean, you just, your mind flips into, I'm in a workup, I'm going to fly a mission, I got a brief coming up, and you start thinking, what's next, what's next, what's next? Correct. And all the possible crazy things that can go wrong. So you were set up for you, this. And that's the thing. It's, no, it's unknowingly. Unknowing, bingo. You were set up for You this. just nailed it. Um, you know, unknowingly, my brain was going through the motions that I feel were necessary to help me mitigate risk. Right. Um, and that was by getting it beat into our heads um, unknowingly for, you know, the past 15, years. You went, it, like, years. instinctive. Ah, you it, went full, it, the training it, kicks in. It really was. Yeah. And, and the other thing was... it. You, you know, you remember this, the feeling of being overwhelmed, like I've got too much on my plate right now. And then being able to just compartmentalize mm-hmm. and say to yourself, this problem is not necessarily, it is not, uh, is not urgent. You know, it's a problem. It's got to be addressed, but there's other things that are more urgent to deal it's with. It's a baby alligator. Baby alligator. It's a baby it's alligator. Exactly, Kill the exactly. big alligators, yeah. the yep. close ones, yep. and leave the baby alligators. Look at your timeline, see what's in front of you and deal with the, cl- with the most urgent threat. And uh, that was... Very familiar, honestly, uh, very familiar. Uh, being having that sense, oh my God, what am I doing? This is stupid. Um, you know, I've got a lot of money on the line. A lot of people are relying on me to get this right. Um, you know, you have a lot of friends. You know, as as you know, you know, uh, one of our one of our our peers is one of my partners uh, here. You know, knowing that you've got somebody else's money at risk as well. Yep. Thinking about uh, about that and how you don't want to ruin that. Um, is all very uh, clear and 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 present in your mind, and um, and being able to just compartmentalize and push those things out of the way, uh, push those things out of the way was um, was really important for us. Um, yeah, and uh, I I think having a an ability to threats in their box and deal with them when they were, when it was important to be able to deal with them. Very familiar. uh, Okay. I got, makes sense. Makes sense. Do you enjoy the puzzle? Always. The puzzle of the business. Always. Always. Figuring out all these tiny little problems and how to handle them. Uh, Definitely. uh, Particularly once you get past the point where you know the wheels aren't going to fall off. Right. So when, you know, once we got the doors open, uh, you know, not not knowing how to navigate the licensing process, business licenses, all that stuff, really, really working in kind of the blind initially. But it was okay. Doors are open. Customers are coming in. We're making money. Now this is fun. Okay, now this is fun. So now it's just a never ending process of how do we improve our processes? How do we continue to create a great environment for customers to enjoy themselves? How do we take care of our people and, um, and, and how do we grow? And that puzzle is, it's never ending, right? It's It's a constant living thing. It's living, it's breathing. And the moment that you stop thinking about it is, you know, the moment you're done, honestly, but, um, you can, there's always ways to improve. Okay. There's always ways to improve. And that's the fun part about it yeah. now is like, how do we fix things? How do we, um, 
again, what can we do better? What can we do better? The environment's changing. The demographics changing. Oh yeah. COVID. COVID. That was huge. How do you handle a pandemic? (laughs) Was that in the rule book? No, not in the rule book. It wasn't, weren't planning for that at all. I got that. I got that uh, later on is how do you handle COVID as a new bar owner with Fiesta? Um, What was the, um, so you get out of the Marine Corps, you did 20 years, you've got some leadership experience, but you know, Talking to Marines and dealing with Marines, they're used to a certain type of leadership and they're used to a certain type of approach. Yep. Uh, a little more straightforward, no sugar. They respect that. So now you're a salty 20-year retired major war hero, <laughs> business yeah, owner, hero. and you've got a bunch of... You're dealing with civilians now. Oh, yeah. Men, women, all different demographics. Yeah. What did you? What was your kind of philosophy on that? When it came to just working with people, I had somebody had mentioned before, you know, I, and I don't remember if I could, if I could give the creds, I would, um, you know, everything I needed to learn, I learned as a second lieutenant, right, or I learned as a corporal, um, and it's and quite honestly, um, it's it, it's pretty accurate, uh, you know, um, people are people. Uh, learning how to communicate and find the, you know, their motivations and their incentives uh, and, and focusing on those incentives uh, and having a genuine connection with people. Every business is a people business. Um, I, I knew that we knew how to do that. Uh, and it's, I talked to a lot of people who had opened businesses before and it's, it's really about just, uh, you know, uh, the human relationships, the human elements and figuring out how to communicate with people, find their incentive structure, let them know that you care about them and uh, you'll be able, they'll, they'll be able to help you out uh, th- throughout the process. Yeah. When you're dealing with Marines, I mean, they have so easy. It's, it's so simple. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so simple. <laughs> it's so simple. Um, it, it's funny. Um, I shouldn't say easy, just simple though. Oh, yeah. simple. Uh, there you Not go. easy. You know, 40, you know, 30 to 40 guys who've all got, you know, issues of their own <laughs> yeah. family problems, whatever. Uh, and, and, and those are their priorities. Um, there's certainly a vetting process that the Marine Corps goes through that you're not necessarily dealing with in the civilian sector. That's your responsibility to do, yep. um, uh, which which creates a little bit of a challenge. But um, that was the, the, the human element. Is people are people. And mm-hmm. um, we le- had learned early on, uh, you know, if you take care of your Marines, they'll take care of you. Yeah. And um, that couldn't be any truer in the, the business environment as well. So with the, uh, the interaction piece, this was something uh, when I owned Lazy Susan's, I learned very early on mm-hmm. and very quickly. Oh, yeah. The majority Interaction. of, majority of, <laughs> of our staff that. were absolute rock star Marine Corps wives. Yep. The hardest working humans uh, and most amazing people I've ever worked with. Yep. However, <laughs> yeah. Speaking to, you know, my group of corporals in the shop or in uh, maintenance or whoever it is uh, and getting them to execute a task, the delivery, the delivery is much different. Yeah. The uh, language uh, delivery is very different than valid speaking to, you know, a handful of, of young, uh, Marine wives and you have to adjust a little bit. Valid point. Um, so that was something that, uh, was actually pretty difficult for me early on. Thankfully, um, one of our, you know, our business partner, my operating partner, John, uh, great American. He had been in the service industry before. Uh, 
you can't yell at people. <laughs> yeah, you can't call people, uh, prof- you know, four letter words. Yeah, uh, you can't. You know, it was it's it's a different environment. You know, we don't take personal insult to, you know, profanity laden comments right. that are thrown at you. Um, you know, when it's trying to get things done, that that is uh, not a recommended technique uh, in this in the civilian sure. sector or, or or the business world. Uh, and, and in fact, it could get it can get you in trouble. Yeah, um, really can. Um, yeah. uh, Did you make anyone cry? I made all of them cry. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I made them cry, but I definitely was inappropriate regularly. Um, and like John, even some of our, our 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 great staff who's been with us for the past three years, <laughs> like Ray, you can't ask people that. <laughs> you can't say that. Can't say that. You know, you can't say that stuff. And it's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could create uh, something called a hostile work environment oh, pretty quick. That's called like, Monday yeah, in the Marine Corps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but not by, you know, n- not out of any malice, right? right? You know, it's just, you know, we're so used to just being able to speak frankly and communicate very clearly. And people, when people aren't meeting your expectations, you let them know in a very clear way. Um, and you, you, you certainly have to, uh, you have to be more mindful of how you're communicating with people in the business business sector because it'll get you in trouble. So you like, adjust your delivery. Oh, smart. Very but well. but not not that was not. Uh, I wouldn't say that that was a, a core skill that I walked into this with. That Got was it. that was a learned skill. Core uh, skill, very, very much. So that's cool. So the, I mean, that was three years mine? ago. Is this mine? Yeah, yeah, okay. cheers. Um, so did you feel prepared, as far as the leadership lessons, you know, when it came to managing? people, getting a mission accomplished, you know, all the buzzwords we use and you translate it to a business. Did you feel prepared? Yes, because the stress was familiar. Um, I, we're, we're used to operating in an uncomfortable environment. You're used to, um, you know, uh, dealing with the fact that you don't have all the information and you, you have to try and, um, and, and execute regardless, you know, you have to execute with 80% of the information and, and just do it. Uh, and that the, the process was familiar. If, if that's making sense, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I'm certainly more prepared now to open another restaurant slash bar than I was when we did the first one, you know, by, you know, knowing, you know, what, um, uh, you know, the, the, the specifics that need to get executed. But the the process was all very familiar with how am I going to handle if this doesn't go this way? How am I going to handle if this doesn't go the way that I wanted to? And so that was actually very familiar, Susan. Um, uh, and that you couldn't absorb enough information. Um, and having been in that environment from our previous life was absolutely uh, a, uh, it was comfortable to know that I had, um, I, I was I was able to deal with those stressors uh, because we just, it's, the process is all very, very familiar. Got it. So the, the stressors and the risk were familiar. Yeah, definitely. Just not a different, it's just a different, different version skin, of it. Different version. Okay, I gotcha. What was the, uh, what's one of the big challenges you had? Obviously you had to dial back your, uh, you know, your delivery yeah. was not one of your core skills, yeah. but the 
I mean, you're managing how many people normally? Uh, well, um, you know, we have about 17 at our first location. Uh, we're working with a little bit of a leaner staff now at our new one as people are, uh, you know, with, with the challenges of trying to get people back. Um, what's one of the challenges that, that I dealt with? Um, I'd say, no, I, let, I, I got a specific one, so okay, we'll, yeah. we'll narrow it down. You have gone, I mean, you're in a large city, metropolitan city, yeah. a gazillion people. You're in a killer location. Your name is on everything. Mm-hmm. And so are your partners. Mm-hmm. Your name is on everything. So you're connected to, you have considerations you now have to think of that you probably didn't have to before, uh, especially with social media, news oh, agencies, yeah, yeah. all that. So your reputation, how you carry yourself, how the business carries itself, all that, it can be, you know, the images and perception of that are a real thing because yeah. you're a business owner and how people perceive your business is important. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that for a minute. You learning to mitigate my speech was really important. You know, you can have opinions and you and I could smoke a cigar and we can talk about, you know, politics in the world and all of that kind of stuff, um, you know, between you and I. Uh, the risk of of people perceiving you a certain way can mean the difference between you know, a, a lot of attention that you don't want or, or not, you know, I try very, very hard. Uh, and I, I knew this was a risk going in. I try very hard to be, um, uh, as, as hard to figure out as, as possible. You know, uh, I don't care what your politics are. Uh, I don't care, you know, I, my politics are, are a certain way, but I think that it's very important for people to, not have not be able to figure you out uh, in those kind of things. Not taking, not not communicating a certain way, particularly early on with the business. And and there are some people who would probably disagree with me on this, but for me, the the idea of you you know you got to make it before you can matter. You know, uh, you you don't want to draw too much uh, unnecessary attention for 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 things that are irrelevant to your business operation. Right? I don't care. You know. Uh, your ideology or your beliefs about anything. The only thing I care about is is be respectful. I'll be respectful to you. Be respectful to the guests. Have a good time. Enjoy yourselves, and be a good human being. You know, and that's really the that's and that's really what we have to focus on, and not um, uh, letting your 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 beliefs get in the way of of certain things. It's it's learning to be very stoic and very calculated, and and not. Um, reacting uh to uh, uh certain pressures that 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 come your way uh you know the the whole covid thing was a pretty uh pretty powerful lesson in that mm-hmm. you know uh i was not prepared for um the social media vitriol that uh can be can be present pretty quickly with your business if you don't do what certain people think that you should be doing uh that was a very hard lesson um I would say that I'm I'm growing a little bit more armor to that, uh, realizing you can't please everybody. I, I did did kind of come at it thinking that you need you know you need to make everybody happy. You got to please everybody. That kind of stuff. Um, realizing that you you're not there's always going to be somebody who's got something to say. Yeah. Uh, just be careful with how you communicate. 
your acceptance or your rejection of, of their points and, um, and don't give people a, um, you know, a thread to pull on. Absolutely. Uh, very, yeah. very, very challenging. That was a hard lesson. You want to go back to one of your questions from about 15 minutes ago. That's the hard, that's, I would say probably the hardest lesson, you know, um, mitigate, you know, uh, dealing with the pressure of how people communicate with you. You know, it's funny. I, you can almost think of it as, um, remember when you, when you first show up to a, uh, to a squadron and, and people are, are trying, they're, they're, they're looking for the chinks in your armor and they're trying to find that thing that's going to just, just unravel you. Yep. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, uh, ultimately the future of your, the next 15 years of your career are going to be determined with how you respond to the pressure that they apply to you yes. with calling you and a if, certain name. If you show a weakness oh, like wolves. Absolutely. You like know, wolves. The, oh, like, this bothers well, you? This really? Yeah, really. No kidding. Yeah, all of a sudden, there's you know, there's there's photos of your mugshot plastered all over the squadron's faces. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe, um, maybe one day that happened. Maybe that one day that happened to yeah. somebody that we both know. Yeah. Uh, in this room, uh, um, that is real. If you show, it's like sharks. Yeah. Like, you know, you check into a unit, and they just want to see how you react. Let's they see do. how the new guy reacts. Let's mess with them and see see if we get a rise out of them. Oh yeah. And I remember the guys who were just like water, who just were like, like they la- laugh like at a, it. They like just duck, laugh yeah. at being laughed at and just like they're like, damn it, man, this guy sucks. <laughs> he's he's not flipping out. He's not reacting. You know, he's not reacting. Yeah. And now it's like, what do we do? Yeah. Oh shit. You know, but it's so similar because it not not in the good way, right? It it's in a much So you, you learned to be a duck. I learned learned to, to, to not react. I, I think I'm learning to be a duck. Okay. Right. I think I'm learning to be a duck. We got we caught a significant amount of of negative attention for being open um, during. Um, we had we had basically too many people at our location one day during the pandemic. Um, unpre- unplanned for. I should have planned for it. Should have been prepared. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, lots of photos start going around, and then social media you know, uh, people can hide behind a keyboard and can just throw some tremendous vitriol your way. And then the moment you start to respond to it, then they just kind of pile on and pile on and pile on. And you can only, you know, communicate your, uh, you know, you, you know, you can only apologize so much. You can only, um, you know, mea culpa uh, so much. And I learned that early on that, it's it's really irrelevant yeah uh it is you know not necessarily stand your ground and be a jerk you know we had to correct our procedures Mm -hmm. that was that was our problem was we did not plan for the turnout that we had we had a lot of people out uh it was covid uh we're in the city of atlanta regardless of how you feel about it this is what the rules were you know social distancing and all that stuff so Um, we had a remarkable turnout and, you know, part of me was like, yes, you know, we're turning the yeah, corner, we're killing it. We're killing it. We're going to, you know, finally start making some money. And then, you know, I'm walking up and you're seeing all the people with their cameras snapping photos of your patio and realizing that, oh boy, um, this might not go well. Uh, and then two to three days worth of just spears getting chucked. Yeah. Um, I remember, oh, but you reacted well. Like you, you, I remember you, you totally took ownership of everything yeah even the circumstances were out of your control like you took ownership of it yeah i mean you literally took this bull running around through the crowd and just grabbed it it was like we got it and uh i think you guys set the tone for how other businesses 
reacted after that. Uh, is was, that accurate? I was pretty happy with, um, in retrospect, right? Going through it is never ple- pleasant, right? You know that you're going to feel the pain for two to three months or not, not even that long. I'd say two to three weeks. It's the life cycle of, of internet vitriol is actually yeah. pretty short. It goes quick. It goes quick. Um, but I had not processed that before to that extent. And it was like, Oh boy. And then, you know, immediately you start thinking defensively. You're like, Oh my God, this is going to ruin my business. I, you know, nobody's going to come anymore. You know, I'm going to get shut down. Uh, the city of Atlanta is going to close my business and we're done. It's over. Um, and realizing that it's not that bad, you know, it, it just just deal with it, you know, uh, take take responsibility for the things that um, you should be taking responsibility for. Mm-hmm. Um, learn to slough off uh, the chaff that's going to get thrown your way because it's it's going to come. Yeah, that was a lot of that was a good process for me, especially the type of personality that I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that you're yeah. you're quite familiar. You're counting to 10 in the corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, because just calming down because I'm such I'm such a, a calm person. I've Naturally. always been so calm, so calm in the squadron and relaxed so and chill. Calm. And, you know, the you know, what's your resting heart rate? Oh, shut up. Like 220. Oh, shut your okay. face. Okay. Uh, so funny, funny story about uh, social media comments and things like yeah. that. Um, I know a guy who owned a, a European style crepery. Uh, not really? Too, not too long ago. Oh. Named Lazy Susan's Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you get, you know, feedback and reviews that were completely outlandish and out of nowhere. Oh, but yeah. like you said, you can't, not everyone's going to be pleased. Nope. Um, and a friend of mine's like, hey, do you mind if I respond to these reviews for you? <laughs> I was like, well, what are you going to respond with mm-hmm. before I agree to this? Because uh, my going in game plan initially, like you said, was don't give them a thread to pull. Like you don't give them any information they can use again against you or any, it's you just, you know, you don't even acknowledge. Right. Um, he's like, no, no, I'm going to have some fun with this. I was like, what are you going to say? So we had gotten a a review that was a one star and it was, it was pretty bad review and it was completely unwarranted. Mm -hmm. And, but he wrote, thank you for your wisdom. We appreciate your positive and useful feedback. One day I hope to be as smart as you. Oh, please share more worthwhile and awesome feedback with us as soon as you can. The world <laughs> needs to know more about what you think. And he's like, can I send this? I was like, no. Oh, <laughs> it man. sounds, it sounds fun, it's, you know, it's fun. but I was like, ah, uh, negative. Man. But that's what you thought. You know, maybe there's some utility in that, right? And at least it's, writing it it's down, like writing the sending. email. It's the right. email. Yeah, write the email. That angry email you yeah. just don't send. Write it. Just don't send it. Write it, don't send it, or don't. Like leave it in your outbox and then you get, you know, somebody lines into your computer, oh, yeah. you know, like one of the junior captains and sends that email for you. Know, you know, yeah. A love, you know, love letters to uh, ex-girlfriends. Or changing uh, your digital signature of your pilot training officer yeah. and him losing his mind. Uh, that, that too. Uh, uh, all right, cool. Remember that. All right, back on the tracks. Sorry. Back on the tracks. Uh, no worries. So it's been, you know, gosh, since you opened location one, three years? Uh, no, a- April of 2019. Okay, so j- just past two years. Yeah. And you just opened a second location yesterday. Correct. Literally. Actually, today's well, today, day one. Today's today day. is day one. Day one. So this, is, this isn't this is on the list of here, but right now, you. Yes. The owner. Yes. Meet. One of the other owners. Yes. John, yes. third owner. None of them are there. No. It's day one. Yes. Why are you not at your bar in downtown Atlanta on day one? And where's the location of this bar? 
so people uh, can get yeah, this. So, uh, Midtown Atlanta. Dead All right. So if you're not from Atlanta, it's Wall Street <laughs> and Fifth Avenue. If that's even a real intersection, I think that's probably a good way to Maine and Maine is Maine the, and the Maine. way we describe it. Yeah. The center of if you're thinking Manhattan, think of the center of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, this is the location, Atlanta. 14th and Peachtree um, Street Northeast. But you're not there. No, we're not. I'll be Why there are we in your basement having a podcast <laughs> on the day you're opening a bar? Um, again, uh, the, the, the leadership lessons that we've kind of absorbed from, you know, some great commanding officers. I mean, you, you brought this up, you know, the other day, our first mission in, in country, when we were, uh, we went forward, um, the commanding officer sent all captains forward, uh, the very first mission and, you know, the junior captain, junior flight lead. Yeah. Newest um, section lead. Newest section lead, uh, was, went, went forward, uh, to do the very first mission in country because he felt that I, I think there's probably six reasons behind that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, part of it is certainly to instill um, confidence to the ready room, right? Um, the other thing was to communicate that I know I've trained my staff, I've trained my 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 ready room well. Um, um, you know, for all the things that you know, for for the good and the bad, that was one of the highlights. I would I would. I remember from that deployment was that our commanding officer, instead of sending all of the patch wearers, um, you know, forward on, on the very first mission, you know, cause we can't, heaven forbid they screw it up, et cetera. It shows that you believe in your people. Uh, and, uh, our, 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 our manager that we have there, uh, she's prepared. We've, uh, been working together for the past two years she we you know we we grew her at our first location um we spent the last week kind of going through our dry runs you know being open for lunch and walking through those procedures with uh with her figuring out how we were going to deal with customers etc we had um you know our friends and family night and our social media night and we've ironed out as many of the bugs that are in the system the truth is is she's equipped to deal with it Whatever the problem is, she's either going to fix it or catalog it and debrief us on something that we need to fix at a later time. And if I have any hopes in her continuing to um, feel, you know, the ownership and the sense of responsibility, you know, you need to show her that you need to show your people that you trust them. And the only way you can show that is if, you, well, you got to train them well, right? You got to make sure that they're prepared for that. Um, and you know, you don't send them out in the blind. She, she knows what she's doing. Uh, she has, um, her immediate actions for when things go sideways, uh, who she needs to call for what. Uh, but I believe in you. Um, I've trained you appropriately go forth and execute and, uh, I'll be there tonight, you know, to, um, deal with some of this, uh, who, who knows what, you know, what the, the you know, the environment's going to be like tonight. But I thought we felt that it was important for her to know that day one, wave one, you've got the reins, go. Um, so she has a sense of ownership for what she's doing. Are you, is there any hesitation? No. No. None. That's awesome. Yeah. That's when, that's a good feeling. When you can not have a second thought about your business, that you know it's in good hands. Yeah. And they only call you if like the building's on fire. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's, I'm sure she's putting out fires right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm certain she's putting out fires right now, but it's irrelevant. You yeah. Know? 
we'll work through the process. You know, we'll debrief the issues that that we have to deal with, but you know, it's never going to be because there's going to be times I'm not available, right? There's going to be times that you're busy or you're dealing with shoot, we got a baby on the way, you yeah. know. Um, we're trying to open our third location. I'm dealing with, you know, construction for that one. Um, you know, I'm, we're not always going to be available. Understand that we have the confidence in you. And, um, you know, I, I think that that pays itself back in spades, honestly. Um, so you trust your people. Yeah. Trust, trust your people. people. Give them, them. I was told you give people the rope that they can do one of two things with it. They can be productive with it. You give them that room that rope then, but they also have the opportunity or the possibility of hanging themselves with it. Absolutely. But I've noticed that, that it's going to happen. Random person, that's small percentage of people that'll screw it up. That's just numbers. That's just how it goes. But your other 95, 98% of people will appreciate the trust, run with it. And it pays you back in spades and they learn and grow from it. 100%. 100%. And so then, you know, fast forward down the line, and w- you want to give a shout out to who this awesome manager is? Oh, quick? yeah. Her, uh, Isa Tujain. Uh, she's our our, our um, manager over at our, our Midtown location right now, and she's killing it. Um, you know, we told her, and this is something we learned, but we learned before as well. Uh, when she showed up, you know, just it was a standard, um, you know, uh, part-time job server job that she joined us with. Uh, he's like, look, I had no intention on sticking around. I was here, to, you know, just cause I needed to make some money and you know, you guys were hiring and uh, she worked her butt off. She worked hard. You know, she pr- pr- uh, proved herself trustworthy and that's the fun part about this, right? Because that is something we take back from our, you know, our, our, our military experience as well. It's like, you got that young Lance corporal. It's like you, who's just hungry or shows or shows good initiative that they show that they're a hard worker and then cultivating that cultivating the responsibility in them and teaching them that they can be more. Um, And so last night we had our conversation about training for the next job, right? We teach ourselves that, right? You know, you're never, you're never training for the job. You you train for the job that you want, right? Mm -hmm. You're preparing for the job that you want. And so we know that she's already capable of running a shift it's not that big of a deal. Was it's, she excited to take the reins on day one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was actually, it's funny, because she uh, was really upset with us because we passed her up oh. at Beltline, right? Like our, our first location, we had some other management staff that we had promoted. We had brought in kind of fresh meat and promoted above her to to run that location. And she kind of took, took it a little bit personal and was like, look, you know, we got a plan for you. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. You'll get your shot. And so now she's leapfrogged. She's know, over. like chomping at the bit. She oh. wants to do this. Well, stuff. Like anybody does, right? Anybody, yeah. nobody wants to feel like they're stagnant in anything that they do. Nobody wants to feel like, uh, oh, well, shoot, you know, that, that person is moving on and I'm not, regardless if they want it, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they don't, if they have no plans on sticking around, right? If this is just a part-time job that you've got, uh, and it's just paying your bills for the time being, the idea of somebody else getting paid more money than you for doing the same job or or getting promoted, it's still insulting, right? right? It's still like, hey, what about me? You know, what does this say about me? Um, it's just a very human reaction, I think. So is there um, a, do you have, 
with your partners. So you got meet John and your other partners. Have you guys tried to build a certain type of culture within the your poor taproom locations? Oh yeah. Um, what, what type of culture have you tried to build and why? Um, very much the idea that everything again it's a every business is a people business right and if you can let people know if you can communicate and not not bullshitting them right not not bullshitting them but actually caring about your people and letting them know that you care and doing the things that are necessary to make sure that they understand that you have their best interests in mind um they'll go to war for you uh we know that. And that was, you know, one of those very fundamental second lieutenant things that we yeah. learned a long time ago. You know, you take care of your people and they'll take care of the mission. And that's really the the culture that we're trying to communicate, that we, we try to have. You know, every holiday, every Christmas, um, you know, we throw a Christmas party for the staff. It's just for them. And, and some of, and some of our, uh, you know, our, our favorite customers, you know, our, our frequent customers come in, but John and myself, we're, we're working the shift. Uh, they come in, we cater it, you know, DJ cameras, all that kind of stuff. They come in Christmas party. This is for you guys, right? Uh, you know, we, you know, take care of them with a little Christmas gift, uh, as well, but regularly let them know we, care about you as a, as a person, um, try, tr try really hard to focus on the, you know, their human elements, mm -hmm. the things that they have going on in their life and figure out ways that you can help them, uh, deal with those stressors. Uh, that's the fun part, right? That's what we really, you know, of all the things you did as, as a, as a Marine officer, some of the, the most font, the, the fondest memories you have is when, you know, you've got that young Marine who, um, gets a commission because of the letter that you wrote for, the, you know, well, not maybe because of the letter, but you got to help you, them out. You, you got to help you them got out. Help you them got out. to put help, put them in a position in, and hopefully a little bit of what you gave them is why they are who they are today. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. Um, and, and creating environments for people to shine and thoroughly enjoy that. We create an environment where our, our staff stuck with us through COVID. Um, all of them. We had zero turnover at Beltline. That's unheard of in the restaurant industry. Yeah. Zero turnover. For, unheard of for d during the coronavirus, uh, you know, pandemic. You yeah. know, we did, we, you know, we, we did have to shut down. You know, but John and I, myself, we we leaned out. We took our our salary. We hooked the staff up. We took care of those who needed help more than others. Um, you know, it was certainly a a communal environment at that point, but. You know, the only people that we hired was was because volume, you mm -hmm. know, that we needed more people as opposed to replacing people. That's good. So a good culture. We were talked earlier today about little things yeah. that can be done to kind of build that trust and build that culture and how to motivate motivate people. And we had like, how do you get four Marines to want to kick down a door? <laughs> right. You know, how do you get four Marines to stack a house and yeah. literally be chomping at the bit to kick down a door and go kill bad guys? Like, how do you get them to want to do that? You know, and you create that ownership, that connection, that appreciation, and they're invested. Um, one thing my, old, you know, a couple of things my old man taught me was like, if you can remember people's birthdays. Oh, yeah. Those are tiny little things, you know, Huge. but remember people's birthdays. And we had mentioned uh, 
if you can remember kids' birthdays, the moms of those kids will, they will just, they will kill bodies for you. Rob a bank. They will rob a bank for you. If you remember a mom's kids' birthdays, their, you know, favorite color, flavor, flower, those little tiny things, that creates a, um, well, it shows you care. Right. And, and, and making sure that you're being genuine about it, right? Genuine, yeah. people can see through bullshit um, most of the time, Uh, you know particularly, you know, you know, f- fake platitudes and stuff like that. But when, if you can demonstrate that you care because it, it really is important for you to do so, um, you know, for, you know, personal reasons as well as just developmental reasons for, for your people, for yourself, um, that genuine human to human communication that you have with, with them regardless of the, you know, the, the importance of the job, you know, if it's just a server, if it's, you know, or a manager or, you know, you're a big executive or a young Marine who's about to kick in a door, you know, if they don't feel like a cog in the wheel, right. Um, uh, that if, if, if that, then they're going to put forth that little bit more of effort that is all of the difference in anything. Um, and it's hard to keep doing that, right? You and I talked about um, trying to maintain that, right? Especially as you get busier and busier and busier, trying to make sure that you keep the human communication open, the human element uh, uh, open with your people. And uh, it, it's harder to do, but not, but the most important thing to do, right? Uh, not let to, not to let that go by the wayside. So um, that was yeah. something, you know, you had mentioned the human element that I've noticed from like really good COs that I've had and even just good Marines I've worked with. They were good at doing a few things. They remember people's names. Yeah. And this is written like every like good yep. business book. Remember people's names. When they see you and when you meet them, they're like, oh, hey, Susan, what's up? How's your family? How's the kids? How's, you know, they know they remember yeah. the last time you had a conversation with them. Yeah. They remember the personal stuff that was going on or whatever it was. Hey, hey, how's, you know, this, that or whatever. How's the business? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, holy shit. Because they were present, right? Yes. They were mentally present yeah. in that conversation. I'm like, I don't even remember what we talked about, but this guy, this remembers, guy remembers everybody's name. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and that is that is cool. It is. And I think that sets apart your above it. One thing that sets apart your above average leaders who can, then you're kind of your average guys. Right. You know, the ones that care enough to remember your name, your wife's name, your kids' names. Yeah. Something and that also that your mom way. was sick seven years ago, Something whatever that it was. Simple, yeah, goes a long way. It goes a long way. Man. I, I remember. Yeah, we. It's 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 powerful. Is the uh, okay back to the business stuff? Yeah. So you guys opened second location today. Yes, sir. You got a third one on the way. Yes, sir. And now that you've gone through the initial initiation of the first location, was the first location process compared to the second one? Was it easier, more fluid? What was it like compared different. to the first one? Okay. Different. Different challenges. Um, uh, mostly because there's a great deal of luck, right? There's a great deal of luck that goes into anything. And it's, you know, you're trying, when, when you're taking risks to open businesses or whatever, right? Even kicking in a door, there's a great deal of luck. You pie a corner one direction or the wrong, or the other direction. And, you know, it's the difference between you getting that extra couple seconds. Um, there's so much luck. And, and 
moving into the second location, realizing the, all the blind spots that I missed on the first location is freaking frightening. Frightening. Okay. So you didn't even know. Didn't even know. These were the, 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 the unknown the, the unknowns. Unknown unknowns. <laughs> yes, sir. The unknown. No, no, no. The worst ones are the known unknowns, right? The, or no, sorry, the unknown knowns, right? The ones that are out there that if I did the work, I would have found out about it, but I didn't know about it, right? The, the, those are the scary ones, right? Um, I see, I see you mentally processing yeah, that. Yeah, the known right? unknowns versus unknown knowns. The, like, the we unknown. Slow. So we're saying Ramon unknows. You know, I don't know this known fact that's out there. Right. There's this fact that exists in the reality of business right now that is is a is a known quantity. But you don't know but it. I don't know it. Those are the worst ones, right? The unknown knowns hit everybody. Okay. The, you know, the unknown unknowns hit everybody. Sorry. Yeah, I'm totally confused. ruining this, this is right. ridiculous. I'm totally ruining the soup sandwich <laughs> right now. But the things that nobody knows about that I don't know about affect everybody. Right. Right. The things that are known quantities that exist that I lack that the requisite knowledge on are the ones that you stupid. Got you it. stupid knucklehead. Got you it. missed that. So those ones, I start those the the your the visor starts to come off. And they start to become a reality to you as you start to navigate, you know, moving through your business. You're like, how the heck did we survive? Right. Because it didn't have a lawyer review our first lease. Yes, that happened. Mm. Most people know that that is probably a bad business <laughs> practice. But because I'm a pilot, oh, I know man. everything, right? Yeah. Oh, Do we know everything? Except the stuff we don't know. Except the stuff we don't know. Yeah, and we then, know everything. And that's, and that's bullshit anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I read that lease. Now, granted, I read that lease back, backwards and forwards, you know, three times and tried because I just couldn't afford the, you know, 350 bucks an hour to have, uh, you know, our, our current lawyer. Um, that's not her rate, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, you know, uh, our current lawyer review it and, you know, she's ruthless um, and and helped us out with negotiations for our second and our third location. Right. And just looking back and she's like, Ramon, there's like eight landmines that you just dodged. You just tiptoed around, tiptoed around, not knowing it, not even freaking knowing it. Oh, um, we had we had a huge issue with some some uh, some business expenses that were passed. So you on. had a, that falls into the luck category. Oh, absolutely. These landmines you were sleepwalking through that didn't step on any of them. Right. Uh, you know, because I thought, you know, I could, I didn't need to spend the money on it. Yeah. You and know, you're a pilot. And I'm a pilot. Of yeah, course. So we, know, we know everything. Figure it out. We can, we can learn everything, you know. I think that was one of the bigger lessons. Going back to that, you know, one of those questions that you had earlier. It's like nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing makes up for a good lawyer and a good accountant. Um, spend the money on them. <laughs> spend the money. Don't don't try to do your own books. Right, <laughs> you, you can do it. Right, there's. Uh, I had a. I was watching a um, a YouTube video series from a, a, a entrepreneur guy talking about the, these things, and he he goes into this very long story. I'll condense it down, but bottom line is, um, he has a client who writes her own um, uh, lease. Let, we'll just say lease. It's some business document, and. He looks at it and he says, this is a terrific document. You did a really good job at doing this. This is awesome work. I've only got very few critiques for this thing. 
And she says, oh, thank God. I'm so glad that you feel that way because I spent two months writing this thing, you know, reviewing copies of these ones and these ones and, and, and coming up with incorporating this data, incorporating this information and that information. And it's like, I'm so glad all of the work and all of the effort that I put into this have paid off because it's, you know, uh, it, you have validated that it's, it's a good product. And he's like, do you know, I could have wrote, written this thing for you in two days, you know, two months. What could you have done with that two months of your time, right? Because you felt the need to to do it yourself because you think you're saving money. I gotcha. You yeah. think you're saving money. You think you're saving yeah. time. In reality, you're not. And the thing is, you're going to, you know, you're going to step on landmines that you shouldn't step on. Yeah. Them. So you dodged a bunch and you caught, you caught the landmines on the second one. And then now you're moving to a third one. When do you guys open the third location? Uh, well, we broke ground last week. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and, and hopefully four to five months. We'll see. COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID. COVID. But I'll tell you what, though. I mean, do you look at the COVID experience? I mean, that was a storm you had to weather. Yeah. And you're for a year and a half in. I mean, that was... You yeah. were open for how long before COVID hit? Less than a year. Yeah. yeah. So less, less than, than a year in. Boom, pandemic. Yeah. Welcome aboard, Fiesta. Yeah. How's your bar? Uh, social distancing, all the craziness. Closed. You guys yeah. weathered that, and you still got your staff. Stealing. It was stealing. It was uh, to be able to navigate that. I don't, who was I talking to about this? It might have been you, uh, one of our you know cigar and 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 cocktail fests. Uh, I, you don't wish that on anybody in business, but I'm like wow, we did it, yeah. you know, like, like, holy cow, we made it through. And, and Brett and I are our chef, chef partner at our, our second location. We talk about that regularly, dude, we got through COVID screw you. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I'm like, now, now you're like, kind of like, bring it like whatever's yeah, next, bring yeah, it. We whatever's got it. next, bring it. You know, it helped you realize there was, you know, some business risks that people take some that others don't take, you know, we didn't incur any debt on our first location. And that was one of the critical things that helped us you know, in, in, in surviving, um, we could get lean real quick, uh, as, as, as fast as we needed to, uh, our operation was not, um, you know, we could, we didn't have, uh, we didn't burn a lot of inventory, which is huge for restaurants and, 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 and bars and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we can get a lot of kegs when yeah. the preponderance of your inventory is. Yeah. Keg I want to hear keg stories. We, I, we got to say five minutes for what's it like having 80 kegs. Oh God. Uh, um, so the COVID thing, yeah, you had to adjust your tactics significantly oh, yeah. during COVID. Oh yeah, what did you what did you mix up to start bringing in revenue? Purely defensive. We got um, well. First off, we had to we closed our doors right uh, March fifteenth, I think it was. We shut we we shut our doors, and um, we John and I took our salaries. We split it up amongst the staff. We said, go home. Uh, those of you, you know, we'll file your unemployments for you. Don't worry about it. Uh, we'll take care of that. Uh, if you need anything, we'll take care of you. Just give us a call. Uh, let us figure out what we need to do to 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 pivot. Um, thankfully, uh, the city of Atlanta, you know, Mayor, Mayor Bottoms actually was was pretty good with, in, in a certain sense, I would say passively good. Um, she set conditions that allowed businesses to be able to operate 
um, you know, having the to-go alcohol as uh, uh, open to uh, to business. That was a new tactic. Out. That was huge. But that wasn't something I had any control over, right? That was, you know, the liquor, the, you know, the, the alcohol authority um, was the ones who provided that. Um, you know, we had our, our frozen drinks. We had just started to incorporate frozen drinks into our, our menu. And uh, John and I were literally sitting in the bar by ourselves. We shut off the cable. We, you know, we, we cut off all the services we didn't need. And we're just sitting there, like, figuring out what we're going to do to make money. Uh, the entire month of April, our revenue was gross revenue wasn't enough to cover rent. Gross revenue, mm-hmm. not any of the, you know, not, never mind right. paying the power bill. Um, scary. But we had built up some cash reserves. We, you know, we had, we had some dry powder in our pockets that we could, we could uh, at least buy time with, which was good. Um, and uh, we, we, you know, they allowed the to-go alcohol. So we moved our frozen drink machine up to the front door. We're literally just staring at each other. What are we going to do to make money? I don't know. I don't know. We opened our, our front door and we put a little wheeled cart in front of it and put the frozen drink machine in front of it. And then we just started slinging, you know, frozen alcoholic beverages, uh, which t- is our number one seller right now. Nice. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool nice. uh, on the Beltline location. Particularly you also did growlers, right? Uh, well, it's funny, not growlers, right? Because nothing was in production, right? Everybody knows this. Everything got just leaned out. You couldn't get your hands on anything. Amazon was working overtime delivering stuff to people. We couldn't get a growler machine at that point. So we were getting juice bottles, you know, empty uh, commercial juice bottles, yeah. not like, you know, used juice bottles. Yeah, yeah, here's your drink your apple juice. Yeah, drink your apple juice and we'll pour your, beer in it. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was commercial juice bottles with self-sealing lids. And so we had to order those on Amazon. We had those coming in and we were selling to-go beers there. Dude, we were giving away toilet paper, like pandemic packs. That was fun. It was so retarded. You had to get creative. We got creative, man. Um, the tactics had to adjust. Yeah, but but it it mitigated some of our issues, right? We At least the revenue wasn't enough to be even remotely close to profitable, but it stemmed the losses uh, to, to, the, to the maximum extent that it could. Um, and then finally, we got our doors open. I think July, limited capacity kind of thing. Um, you know, we were so used to having a packed house. We have a real fun kind of low key chill environment. It's a, you know, Georgia football, everybody comes in, packs the house out. Everybody's pouring their beers. It's great. A lot of fun. And now you go from allowing 300 people plus in your space to 30, 30 and, you know, taking reservations and, oh God. Uh, I'll tell you what though the uh, the after hours uh, salsa Mario <laughs> oh I remember and, that uh, Jenga with the two customers that yeah we had. with their four total people in a three hundred person bar like eighty you kegs about, eighty kegs eighty kegs, kegs right there Mario Kart uh, Jenga it yeah. pays to have friends that own bars just like friends that own boats oh it's good to have friends that own boats friends that own boats and uh, friends that own bars man yeah so hey man when you guys open up a third location why don't you get moving on that uh please yeah for me we're thank working you. on it thank you we're working on um, it. but with this second location so covid's happening and i just thought about this right now is you guys were going through the process for the second location because it, it's not a snap of the fingers all the admin bullshit, right. all the licensing is happening right. during a pandemic. That's right. Not knowing how long the pandemic's going to last. That's right. Um, how was that? It sucked because we actually were planning on doing two and three at the same time. 
we were we were really pressing forward um projecting revenue that we were going to be making at Beltline location that we were going to forward, you know, we were going to roll into the other locations and figuring what we thought our, our costs were going to be to open each location. Um, we had planned to do both. So I was in lease negotiations on two locations at the same time. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. So we're like, well, um, we have to prioritize, you know, uh, you, you know, these, businesses are separate entities they're their own entities once we've established the you know the eins and and filed with the secretaries of state so we had pulled all of the money out necessary to build the second and the third we put it into an account and we were working with that but um we had to prioritize uh and it was we were a week away from signing our lease at um our third location which will become our third location and then the you know, we shut our doors and so we had to pull the plug on that. So they were in, you know, dire straits, as you can imagine, anybody in commercial real estate was at the time. Um, we just had to, we had to pivot and prioritize, you know, which one is the one that we're going to focus our energies on. Um, we projected, you know, you, you, you think through the process and what is the world gonna, what could I imagine the world looking like six months from now, a year from now? You know, thankfully, the landlords kind of were dealing with the same thing. So we were able to negotiate, again, having a, an, an incredible attorney uh, on our side at the time to to build in maneuver space for pandemic-related problems, right? So, so that way, if the pandemic continued to drag on longer than we expected it to, we at least had some protection in that, the, you know, the rent wasn't going to be due uh, right, right away. So, Got it. Uh, it was it was it was a mutual thing, you know. Working the landlords are just as interested in. Yeah, they don't. It's not good when the tenants leave. Bingo. It makes no sense to Bingo. scare away your tenants. Bingo. So that it incentivizes them to have a good relationship, right? Um, and we've uh, got great, you know, great relationships with our our um, our midtown landlord and our west midtown landlord, and you know, because we negotiated this stuff throughout the pandemic, so I think that steeled everybody's resolve a bit um, and and helped us plan for things that we didn't know what we were going to, you know, yeah. for those. Unknowns. I mean, there was at some point you had to, you probably talked with the guys and you're like, Hey, I don't, you know, the process and the, the consideration had to be at one point, is this a good idea to, Oh yeah. To keep going. Oh yeah. So with a, under a, a random pandemic that nobody knows anything about and all this stuff, you decide to hit play and press. Yeah. So you, that was a known unknown. Yeah is that there's a pandemic. We don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. So kind of a connection to that question. You guys hit decided to, you know, to move forward. What advice would you have for somebody who is on the fence about opening a business on the fence about putting themselves this, an idea out there, a concept. What would you tell somebody who is thinking about it? Nobody is going to pay you as much as you're worth than yourself you're you're never going to get a hundred percent of your own equity out of your of, out of your labor whoever you work for unless it's for yourself right there's always a there's always a margin there right as as, as commercial airline pilots right the, the the company's making more money than you are out of your labor um so know that as hard as you're willing to work as hard as you're wanting to work there's there's fat on the bone for you it's out there 
So do you feel different about going to work for yourself than going to work for someone else? Like the, absolutely the the perspective on it. The perspective is, is, is that is an absolute Susan. Yeah. You, I, I get up in the morning when we go to the bar, when we go to the restaurant, it's, I feel like I, this thing lives and dies by the decisions that I make. Um, you the ownership is there right it's you own it as opposed to working for somebody else where you know that you know the marine corps is going to live on right you think you're so important to the marine corps and reality is that you eas or you retire and the machine <laughs> they just forget keeps about moving. you they man. forget about you're you going. and then that's good it's by design right but but you know nobody's going to get the as much you know um value out of you is you're you're the value that you're going to get out of yourself is going to be more than you're going to get out of working for somebody else. Do your homework, right? You you can't what if your scenario is enough. And whatever you think it's going to cost, multiply it times two. Got it. That's a good tip. <laughs> I was explaining to uh, one of my bros, I was like, he's thought about starting a business. I was like, man, if you work 80 hours for yourself, and 40 hours for somebody else, that 80 hours for yourself is so much better. Oh yeah, it is so much better, and especially Even you get paid if you're, less per hour. Yeah, when you got and your motive and your incentive, that's at home, you know, pregnant in your case. Yeah, uh, yeah. Doing there's a, some doing serious motive when it's like, oh, I got to put in some extra hours at the bar or whatever. It's not, it's work, but it's not work. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, the other piece of advice that I would I would give is how, how you know. And I hesitate to say this because you, there's so many great businessmen who are like, you got to be all in or nothing, right? Or, or it's, it's never, you're never going to be successful, right? But having a backup plan, um, have, having a, you know, never have it relying on a single stream of income uh, is, is, is important. I, I think that that's crucial because it didn't put the stresses on me that exist for those business owners who just, you know, take all their shekels and throw it at one thing and quit their job and move forward. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a sense of, hey, I have to make this successful. So, you know, then they're going to try harder and then they're going to win. Fine. Great. You know, that's that's valuable um, as well. But I would say, you know, having a backup plan uh, is has been useful for me. Um, and I'm actually now approaching a crossroads where I got to decide whether I'm able to even continue to to entertain that, which yeah. I, I, I desire to, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when the decision is, um, acute, but uh, you lucked out also. Oh yeah. Like, it helps to marry a very cool salsa dancing, <laughs> uh, girl that has her own business. Oh yeah. That's not bad. No, not bad at but all. But you lucked in that. That wasn't your, you, you, you got lucky there. No, I went out dancing and showed my moves and yeah, magical just, things just, happen. My, my peacock feathers were flying high that day. My <laughs> friend, uh, great gal, uh, great bride. The, uh, uh, dude, you took me off track there thinking about your crazy ass salsa dancing. Um, what did you say right before that? What we uh, about? Well, you were asking me what advice, uh, I would give. Oh yeah. So, so great answer. Good feedback. <laughs> um, mine is a lot shorter. Yeah. You know, can't do enough homework. You do your homework, feed your brain. Can't do enough homework uh, and then do it yeah. and then just do it. And that's the cool thing is. You know, the other thing is you could, there's almost a sweet spot, right? And I think that's what's pretty cool. You and I have talked about this before in in just, you know, bro conversations at the gym. 
you don't want to be too smart, <laughs> right? Luckily for us. Yeah, luckily for us. Uh, well, you know, well, yeah. you know, what is it? Analysis paralysis, right? You don't want to get to 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 a point where all you're doing is just thinking and thinking and thinking and not executing. You know, at some point, you gotta have the stones to be able to just step up and take risk. Uh, risk is such a huge element of it because it really is the case. You brought this up in the you know an hour and a half ago was, you know, your 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 reputation's on the line, your social security number's on the line, your credit's on the line, your relationships with people who, you know, you may have been equity investors are, is, is on the line. All of that stuff can weigh down and can get you to a place where you just hit the brakes, where you hesitate too much in order to move forward. And thankfully, you know, we get trained in, you know, we're used to that 80%. I, I've got enough information to move. I've got enough to execute, to to take this next step. And be, you you could absolutely just get down in the weeds and just overthink it for forever. Yeah. And then and you, we got a lot of friends who are that way. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, it's right? You know, you love them. They're great people. They're brilliant minds. Um, and they're they're better at in, in all sorts of ways than than I am at, at these things but you know I'm I'm learning to be able to take risk I think it's a very you know you explain that I attribute it to two things you myself and meat we'll talk about meat here yeah. we are all uh, lucky enough uh, to have had so much fun in high school and college and the Marine Corps valid that the portion of our brains that overanalyzes and overthinks is really deteriorating. Deteriorating. Yeah. Yep. And some concussions playing hockey. I think I think we've earned, uh, we, we've done enough work <laughs> in, in various avenues of life to have, uh, I guess, killed the, the correct brain cells. Yeah. So when it comes to overanalyzing. In certain aspects. In certain aspects. Uh, we, we, uh, we're a little more quick to just hit play and move forward. So, um, yeah, ha being able to just have enough information yeah. is a hard thing. Um, and I've got enough to move forward and, um, and then take risk and it's always going to be a risk. Always. All right, man. So you got to go run a bar here in 20 minutes. So we're going to finish this guy up. Oh, okay. All right. So this is the, uh, the speed round of awesome round with shit. Susan. I've heard these and all we're going to do here is I'm just going to make fun of you <sighs> and make up, uh, and tell stories about. You know, the last, gosh, 10 years we've flown together. God. All right, so um, there's a rumor on the street that you are a salsa dancer. <sighs> Tell us about what happens at 2 a.m. on a Friday night in San Diego after, I don't know, seven or eight hours of out with the guys, and the beacon turns on. Tell us about the beacon. Oh, the beacon? The beacon, the salsa beacon. Oh, um, well, <laughs> uh, I've had a couple of them. Um <laughs> I don't know if we're talking about the one from Hiroshima. No, we're just talking about the salsa beacon in general that is inside your brain. Oh, um, well, uh, you know, the you beacon know. that somehow, while we're all there, Fiesta just disappears out of nowhere and starts navigating <laughs> via this beacon to a the, the closest salsa bar. I completely forgot That's about that. That's the beacon, man. I completely forgot about that. Well, shit, a, that a was that was there was beacon. some mission planning there. Uh, I I. Anywhere, any city I go to, I try to find a place that has, you know, uh, some dancing. Uh, 
because it's fun, bro. Uh, especially when you were when I was single um, and meeting girls, uh, it's it's a great method to do so. So I knew. I, I mean, we were hanging out, we were having a good time in San Diego, but I already, I dude, I already planned. I already had it known that well, you I was didn't hanging know that out. The one, this is one of the times when we knew your beacon was going to come on. We had been prepped and ready. To <laughs> oh, you So I was with Leroy. <laughs> I know. He's like, dude, the beacon's going to come on soon. So Leroy, <laughs> uh, gosh, meat was there and. You see, your eyes are about half open. <laughs> half closed. And Lee works like, dude, the beacons are going to come on soon. Just watch. Did you guys really know that? We followed you. No, you didn't. You, dude, we, we kept a good distance, out of sight. We were tactical. We followed you to the salsa bar. Did yeah. you really? Yeah, you had no idea. And, you mother. And you were zigzagging all over the sidewalk. We found we, we followed you. Because your beacon, it was so obvious by that point. We're That's like, dude, the so beacon's on. Funny. And then and then you just casually by yourself without saying goodbye, just walk out walk the bar. Out. And you guys knew. And we're like, hey, the beacon's on. Let's follow him. Okay. Okay. Ready Room Podcast listeners, <laughs> I had no effing idea <laughs> this happened. No idea this happened. Anyway. But it was my standard MO. Um, look, man, it's fun, particularly when you're out trying to meet, you know, interesting people. Um you 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 go out and you, you cut it up. I mean, maybe I zigzagged all over the sidewalk, but I I'm pretty sure I was keeping time when I was dancing. <laughs> um, uh, it was the source of a lot of uh, good good memories. So, um, moral of the story, because I have to cut you off because you got to go to work. Oh. What's the moral of the story when it comes to the salsa beacon? Um, there is no moral. It's it was all about the girls, my friend. Dance salsa, good things happen. Yeah. Dance salsa, Bumper good sticker, things, dance you, you salsa. Meet, you meet girls. Good things happen. <laughs> awesome. Learn how to dance, you meet girls. Right. I met my bride. And she's awesome. And she's awesome. All right, so closing thoughts. Thank yous, man. Any thank yous, shout outs? Yeah, shout outs to all of, uh, you know, business partners that, you know, John, uh, Mom, uh, Meet, Bunny, uh, who were all had the, um, you know, uh, the risk, the non-risk aversion to to go down this journey with us, and um, uh, shout out to my beautiful bride, uh, who's you know fully supportive of what's going on, and uh, and and those leaders that we you know you and I grew up with in the military that kind of helped set the groundwork for uh, instilling the confidence to be able to kind of do the things that we're doing now. I like it. Well, dude, thanks for showing up. Thanks for letting me stay at your house and live in your basement for a few days, mm-hmm. and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And for anybody listening. Uh, where can they find yeah, you? Where, just, thanks. Thanks for that shout what out. What type of uh, social media do you love and use on a regular basis? <laughs> Poor Taproom underscore Atlanta uh, is our Instagram handle. Facebook is similar. Um, uh, we are located in Studioplex Alley uh, in Atlanta, 661 Auburn Avenue. Um, and again, Maine and Maine in Midtown, Peachtree Street Northeast and uh, 14th Street. Uh, check us out and I uh, promise you'll have a good time. All right. Save rounds. Is that it? That's it, brother. Right here, folks. This is Fiesta and Susan. We'll see you next time. Cheers.